This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Hello, welcome back to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm Robbie Lashua, and uh, this this podcast is going to be a little different because Tyler is not here. He's actually on a mission trip in Japan right now. So if you'd be praying for him, that would be uh, that would be great. He's going over there to do some really cool ministry with our church. Um, but he'll be back uh, in a few weeks, and we'll get back to kind of doing things the, the normal way. But today, I have an awesome guest with us, um, my good friend, Marty Clapp. Marty is um, just steeped in apologetics knowledge, I would say. He speaks uh, at a lot of Fellowship of Christian Athlete events. He speaks at community colleges, even in um, uh, classes that are just kind of uh, secular in nature. Uh, and he, he, he defends the faith in those. He also has a prison ministry that he's a part of, going into prisons and, and loving on people and, and preaching the gospel and baptizing. Um, so just a really uh, awesome guest. Marty, we're really thankful that you're here today. Oh, Robbie, it's great to be with you. I'm enjoying this. I'm excited about it. I'm glad yeah. to have you on the podcast. Hopefully we can have you on a lot because, um, man, just through our conversations through the years, I've always loved gleaning wisdom from you on how to defend the faith. You're really good at it. And I think I think most importantly, your arguments are sound, but your character is great. And so that's the thing that really compels people is, Marty actually cares about me. <laughs> He's a loving kind of person, and that speaks volumes to people when you're discussing truth. So I'm really thankful for you. Well, as you know, we always start our, uh, our podcast off with a coffee tip. And so today I've got an interesting coffee tip uh, to talk about. Um, in October, I'm going to go on a backpacking trip uh, through the Grand Canyon. We're going to do one day, uh, North Rim to South Rim. I think it's about 22 miles. Nice. Yeah, it'll be it'll be cool. So I'm excited about it. But I, I was starting to think through uh, coffee on that trip. And I don't think I'm going to have to take any with me because it'll probably take me, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten hours. So I, I, again, I can go without coffee for ten hours. I'll drink a lot of other fluids. But um, I was thinking through, like, going backpacking, you know, for, like, three or four days. I don't want to carry a whole bunch of coffee paraphernalia in my backpack. Like, that's extra weight, not for a huge payoff in the end. Right. So I was thinking through, what are ways I could make coffee, you know, camping out, that's not going to, you know, wear my back out packing a, a French press or a percolator or all this stuff <laughs> into, yeah. into my backpack. Um, and I thought about this. There was this old method, and this is this is I, I guess it's kind of gross, but cowboys would do this. So you definitely you'd have to pack coffee, and you're gonna have water if you're going camping, right? right? So that's all you need to take. That's all you need to worry about: ground coffee and and water. And when you get to wherever your campfire's at, you boil some water, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and some I know cowboy coffee. They some guys used to just throw the grounds right in the coffee, right. boil it, and then try to, I mean, even drink the grinds, kind of, you know. Oh. And you can do that. Yeah. But one thing you'll bring on a, a backpacking trip is a sock. You'll have extra socks, hmm. and hmm. you could put the grounds in a sock and just throw that in the boiling water wow. and use it as a filter. Wow. Now, I would suggest using a clean sock, not one that you hiked <laughs> down the canyon using. Um, but that that would work. And so, again, if you want to take coffee on a backpacking trip, on a camping trip, don't want to hike a bunch of material in, just grab some coffee grounds. You're going to have water anyway, and you're going to take socks anyway. So really, all you're packing in is your coffee extra. And um, you don't have to take a whole pound of it even, just for a few right. days, grind up a little Ziploc bag, you're good to go. So that's the coffee tip for today. If you are going camping or backpacking this summer, 
take a sock, <laughs> take some grounds, <laughs> and definitely use a clean sock. I know, um, yeah, that would probably taste a little better. Those cowboys than, uh, are tough. Those cowboys are tough. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. But that's the coffee tip for today. I hope one of you uses that. And if you do utilize this technique, please email me and tell me what you thought of it and, uh, and how it went for you. That's great. All right. So for today, let's segue, Marty, into talking about this evidence for God's existence um, based on DNA. And so this is a, a subset of a teleological evidence, of, of uh, evidence of design and of purpose that we find in the universe based on a person's uh, DNA. So, so what is this argument? What is the, the evidence of God's existence based on DNA? Well, Robbie, like you say, nowadays uh, the crime shows are really popular, CSI, mm-hmm. a lot of the shows that the people watch. And so whether it's oh, there's in... Like, there's like, aren't there like 20 um, CSIs? Yeah, I've lost Vegas, track. Boston, New York, <laughs> Omaha, I don't know. There's, there's a I've lot of... lost track. There, there's so many. <laughs> yeah. And in all these shows and even in real life uh, courtrooms, mm-hmm. we often hear of the evidence from DNA. Oh, yeah. That's used. And so so people hear about DNA quite a bit, mm-hmm. comes up in all these shows. Um, today we're going to actually look at DNA as evidence again, except in a little different way. We're okay. going to look at DNA as evidence for a creator. And I think it's very persuasive, powerful evidence for a creator. Um, and even though people hear about DNA, they've heard about it, uh, what is it? I mean, some people have never really... Yeah, what exactly is DNA? Exactly. What is it? Well, it's DNA is just this incredibly complex information molecule. Okay. And it's tightly coiled up inside the center of the cells in your body. Uh, if you were to look at a model of it, you may have seen a model of it. kind of looks like a ladder, step ladder that's got mm-hmm. a little bit of a twist to it. Okay. And um, it's the molecule that carries all of the assembly or most of the assembly instructions for life. Okay. for living things. And so to understand why DNA is powerful evidence for a creator, uh, I think it would make sense to begin by talking about sort of exploring just the, the storage capacity of this molecule because it's, it's absolutely amazing. Okay, so, so DNA is uh, this molecule that has information for building a, a living body, but specifically your DNA has instructions for building your specific body, right? Yes. Being that small, yeah, what is the capacity of information that your DNA can hold? Well, to give us some idea, um, there's this guy named Dr. Werner Gitt. Okay. He lives in Germany. He's an, he's an information scientist. Uh, Dr. Gitt is actually the former director. I don't think he is any longer, but he's a former director and professor of the German Federal Institute of Physics and Technology. Wow. And a few years ago, I heard a talk that he gave. It was just this really thought-provoking presentation, and it was titled, In the Beginning Was Information. Okay. And in this talk, he gives some insight regarding just the the storage capacity of DNA. And he puts it in terms of what they call density of information. So he points out that the DNA molecule has a very high... Uh, density of information, just another way of saying it's storage capacity. Mm-hmm. And he said it's the highest storage capacity of any uh, system known to man. Mm. And to sort of give us, uh, kind of get a handle on that, just to illustrate just how incredibly uh, compact 
this information system is. He, he uses as an illustration, he holds up this like a 32 millimeter by 33 millimeter slide. Okay. And he's and on that slide, it has the entire Bible printed out on it. Wow. Just I mean, on just, the one slide. Yeah, just on that one slide. I mean, it, I mean, just think about that for a moment. So you open your Bible, you look through your Bible, and you see how much is printed there. Mm-hmm. All of that is printed on this little 32 millimeter by 33 millimeter slide. Wow. And um, so, of course, that is, I mean, that's mind-boggling. I can't even comprehend that. That's a lot of compact information on one slide. Yeah. A lot of information. You can't even, you can't even imagine that. No. And so by comparison, he said that the DNA molecule, by comparison, is 7.7 million million times more density of information <laughs> than that 32-millimeter no. slide. Yeah. Is that crazy? Seven. What? Say that number again. 7.7 million million times more density of information. When you say million twice, you're not just emphasizing it. You literally mean right. to state it twice. Yes. 7.7 million million. Yes. Mm-hmm. <whistles> yeah. That's a lot of compact information. It's incredible. Within the cell. Right. It's, wow. Wow. Okay. So, um, again... Information is is all around us. We see it all the time. We understand, I mean, better than any generation, I think, with computer programming and how that information works. Uh, why why do you think that information is a um, is is a proof of God's existence? Like, how does that how does that work? So, how can you move somebody from really compact information in DNA to therefore God has to exist? Well, I think in order to do that, first of all, I think as we, you know, if we just talked about the storage capacity, in fact, to kind of unpack for the listener what that number really represents, he he gives another amazing illustration, and he said that if you took just a a pinhead Mm -hmm. of genetic material, you know, just enough genetic material on the head of a pin, and if you could somehow extract the information out of that, Mm -hmm. and if you could type that all up, in, in books, standard texts, standard size books, and uh-huh. stack those books up. He said just in a pinhead of genetic material, there would be so much information that if you printed it up into books, that stack of books would be uh, 500 times the distance from the Earth to the moon. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you can't, I mean. 500 times the distance yeah. from the Earth to the moon on a pinhead of genetic information. Right. And I know he's not he's not making this up because it's actually online. He shows okay. uh, how they did the math, so it's absolutely crazy. That is a ton of information. Yeah, it is. And if you think about it, you know, if we think about technology and how that, it seems like the more advanced we become, um, the more miniaturized our technology becomes. You've noticed that. Well, I mean, that's computers true. Yeah. used to be... Even laptops used to be really thick, and right. now they're really thin. Yeah, sure. Right. We're getting better at making uh, it smaller. Right. Yeah. And the reason we're emphasizing that, it just kind of gives people some concept of the incredible, I mean, unimaginable ingenuity of our creator. Because even from a human perspective, we look at technology and we go, man, you know, the computers used to take up a room. Yeah. You know, you go into a room and you got these big 
cabinets yeah, and stuff. Yeah, the supercomputers. Yeah, right. The supercomputers, and now they're just so. We kind of see a pattern, even in our understanding of technology, that that the greater the technology, the more intelligent, as it were, we become in these areas, the more miniaturized. That's and, a really great point. Yeah. yeah. So it really gives us some sense of that. And DNA is the ultimate miniaturized. It is. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. It, it absolutely wow. is. Those are great analogies of, of the or, or great um, illustrations of the example of, of the numbers there. That's amazing. It is. And I think, so now to get back to the question that you asked, how does this evidence for God, not only this kind of ingenuity that we mm-hmm. can't even comprehend, and that is as amazing as that storage capacity is, actually the most amazing thing of all about DNA isn't the molecule itself. It's not just the physical molecule and its ability to store information. The thing that's really important about it is the information mm. that it carries. Okay. And the reason that's so important is because this in, the information in DNA just gives very powerful evidence for God because information in and of itself has a couple really important characteristics that we want to unpack for our listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, because information, as we're going to see, it has two characteristics. Number one is that information itself is not physical. It's not of a material nature. And second of all, uh, information always requires an intelligent source behind it. It always mm-hmm. comes from an intelligent agent. That makes sense. Yeah, you, whenever you see a, a, a you know wood a, a tree carved with you know R loves L, you don't think, right. well, that's crazy that the tree grew in that way. We know somebody with intelligence must have carved that exactly. th- into the tree or something. Okay, exactly. So information is always requires an intelligent source and it's not you're saying it's not physical i think that's going to be the one that people have a harder time with that it's not yeah. a physical entity but it's an an immaterial thing so how, how yeah how do those how do those work well like you say that first point is really important because when people challenge us the atheist the skeptic uh those that hold what we would call just uh a naturalistic view of the world. They say that everything can be explained in terms ultimately of the physical and the material. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important for the listeners to understand that information isn't. It's not physical or material. Um, and we're so used to things being of a material nature. This is this is very, you know, it's hard for us to relate to that, but, yeah. but that's the nature of it. And so it's really important to understand that there are some things that simply cannot be explained in terms of the physical material world. And the other thing I would point out is that information is something that exists separately and independently from matter. Separately and independently from matter, okay. Right. So in other words, um, even though information requires a physical medium to store it or to carry it, uh, information in and of itself is this non-physical immaterial reality. And to, and to illustrate for our listeners, I know that Dr. Gitt used a uh, microchip, um, but this was several years ago. Technology has changed. And so you know our friend James Umber. Yeah. He sort of took that and, and um, I just sort of tweaked that a little bit. And he uses a flash drive. And so we just illustrate it using a flash drive and say, suppose that I have a flash drive with lots of information stored in it. Mm-hmm. And suppose that we have a device over here that's super sensitive, like a set of scales, it's ultra sensitive. And let's say that we weigh that flash drive with all this information. It's got lots of lectures and notes and stuff and sure. we weigh it. Uh-huh. And then su- suppose that we delete that information 
Yeah. And then we put it back on the scale and weigh it again, it's going to weigh the same. Interesting. So, yeah, there's no weight to information on the flash drive. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's going to weigh exactly the same hmm. with or without the information in it. And I think that what this tells us is that information itself has no mass and no weight. Um, it is not a physical object. It's immaterial. Yeah. The crazy thing is how we can get an immaterial thing to be stored on a material thing. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, and there's a lot of different is. methods of doing that. But that is what we're doing, whether it's a CD or whether it's a flash drive, um, whatever, an MP3 player. That You're exactly right. There, there isn't weight. Your, your iPad or your, your iPad doesn't get heavier the more movies you load right. into it. It's right? a good thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, a, it good a good thing. thing. Yeah. Could, you <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to carry, oh, I really wanted the new <laughs> Avengers movie, but I just can't just keep carrying this thing around. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting point. Okay, it is, and that's a, that's a really critical point. And I think the second point is is equally important in establishing evidence for God because the information, by its nature, it always requires an intelligent source behind it. Mm. And it doesn't matter whether the information is in the form of computer software, whether it's a text message or dots and dashes in a Morse code or hieroglyphic symbols or like the example you gave earlier with a tree, um, information always comes from an intelligent sender. That makes a ton of sense. And I think just culturally, mm -hmm. people, uh, we intuitively know that, but because of computer programming, we really understand that. Right. Like we know, oh, you know, these new Disney movies that are being made, we know how they're made. They're computer animated and they've got these guys. They've got a team that just does the shading, the lighting, the, you know, that they're all intelligently designing this one movie. They're all programming this new video game. They're all programming, you know, these new computer programs, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, that seems like culturally, that seems like a really easy way to strike up a conversation with somebody. Yeah. Because we all know that. Yep. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Everybody can relate to that. Mm -hmm. It's something that they can just really understand. I think another example that really makes a lot of sense to kind of give us a, a grasp of how it, an intelligence is required. So let's say, for example, if you were to accidentally spill a bottle of ink onto a sheet of paper, mm. uh, obviously that by itself is never going to produce a newspaper or a book. <laughs> no. you know, it's not going to happen. That's right? absurd. Yeah, that wouldn't happen. And because information has not been added. So if you think about this, so information is not, it's not like a natural part of the ink. It's not something that's actually part of the paper. Uh, now, of course, you, you can use laws of physics and chemistry to explain why the ink bonds or sticks to the paper. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, I mean, that makes sense. But that is a very, very different question from asking how the ink in a book or a newspaper got arranged in such a in such a precise manner. Yeah, that's a different thing altogether. Right. So in order to get an intelligible <clears throat> message, information must be introduced into that system by an intelligent source outside of it who can reach in and, and to arrange those ink molecules on that sheet of paper in a really specific order so that, that it now communicates information. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, yeah. yeah. And so to kind of tie that analogy to the actual DNA molecule, so in a similar way, the chemical letters of the genetic code, and it's represented by four letters, A, T, C, and G. Okay. So in a similar way, these chemical letters of the genetic code had to be arranged in a very, very specific way to convey all of this information. So we see the same type of information, like as a, a written letter, I mean, on a, on a minuscule level. 
with the ordering of those of those uh, DNA letters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We see the same type of sequence. It's it's a, it's it's the specific sequ- sequential order of those things in a pattern, right? Right. That show us this is information. This isn't just uh, by chance. This isn't a natural thing like like a sand. Uh, b- being moved by waves, it had right. to be arranged in a specific order, such that it is exactly. Okay, that's so a when great we look point. at DNA. That's what we're seeing. Well, and of course, um, just like with anything else, and and I think, and I think most anybody listening to this, if they're really open and honest, they're going to say that's very powerful. I mean, here you have this non-physical reality that always comes from a mind. I mean, it should just be so clear and so obvious, mm-hmm. but. As you and I have experienced when we're dealing with the world right now, people that are very skeptical, they will always come up or at least try to come up with a rescuing device. Oh, absolutely. Right. They yeah. always try to find a way around it. A way around it, yeah, because it implies God, and I don't, I don't want a God. Yeah. So there must be another explanation. There, you know, in their mind, they, they just have to find this rescuing device. And so I want to look at so what are some of the rescuing devices that others have come up with that I've run into to kind of give our listeners a heads up so that mm-hmm. if they run into this when, when they we, try. When you say that. rescuing device, what exactly do you mean? What I mean is the the unbeliever, the skeptic, is always trying to find an exit strategy. Okay. You know, they don't want to deal. Like you said, they don't want to deal with this because it implies very strongly mm-hmm. an intelligent cause. That call it an, so would a rescuing device be an excuse? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Sort of an escape hatch. Escape. <laughs> <laughs> From the, okay. That makes sense. I think the first one that comes to mind, and I I saw this in the video, the atheist delusion. Have you have you seen that? I don't know if the, the listeners. It's called delusion. the atheist delusion. It's by uh, Ray Comfort, the Street Evangelist, oh, Living Waters. Comfort. Yeah, I haven't seen that video. It's a great video. Okay, and it's a great great video. It's just interesting because he kind of deals with this topic a little bit, and it's interesting to see how people on the street, um, how do they deal with this, and so he's. Uh, he does this interview on the show. He does an interview with Lawrence Krauss. And Lawrence Krauss, you may have heard of him. He's a local, right? He's uh, he's an atheist professor at ASU. And during the interview, Ray asks Krauss how he, as an atheist, how does he explain DNA on a purely naturalistic basis without a creator? Mm -hmm. And Krauss says a couple of things, and and we're going to see that they really don't work, but it's You know, at first, it it sounds kind of convincing. The first thing he says is he tries to... he tries to say that we see other examples of design in nature that really turn out to be nothing more than just the result of natural processes. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Where he goes, well, there's no different than a snowflake. But we're going okay. to talk about that. And secondly, he admits that DNA is an amazing structure. He actually says that. But then he, he goes on to say, well, you know, the laws of physics and chemistry will in principle, explain how DNA first arose. Hmm. And as we're going to see on both counts, he was he was wrong about that. You're saying that the professor at ASU, the distinguished Lawrence Krauss is wrong. Yes. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. But we've got evidence to back this up. We're not we, just attacking. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. All right, so how does that work? What, what, what are the reasons he's wrong on this? Well, so like that first, um, the first example or the first counter-argument he gives, oftentimes whenever the topic of DNA is being used as evidence for God's existence, um, someone who is attempting to disprove God will often use the illustration of a snowflake. And they'll say, hey, 
I mean, look, here's this thing is incredibly complex. It's beautiful. It's symmetrical. Yeah. You know, and so they try to use this as a counter argument against God because, I mean, you know, it, it is. It makes sense. Yeah. And it's unique. Like your DNA it is, is unique. So, it, it, yeah, there's some correlation there. Yeah. So on the face of it, it's pretty convincing, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, of course, they would, and the point that they're trying to make is they would say, hey, I mean, a snowflake is just, I mean, it's not, it's not hard to explain. It's just this tiny dust particle, and it comes into contact with water vapor under very cold conditions. It begins to grow as it descends down toward the earth. And so, in short, what they're trying to say is, hey, I mean, all this is... It just, it's not hard to explain. It's just a tiny water droplet. All it's doing, it's just obeying the laws of nature, resulting in this beautiful symmetrical pattern. And so his point is it only looks designed, but no designer is necessary. Hmm. And so then they try to use that illustration to explain DNA in the same way. And, and so the bottom line is they would insist that if the complexity of a snowflake doesn't require a designer, then hey, you know, neither does the complexity of the DNA molecule. That's kind of his argument. I see. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I get what he's trying to say. Yeah. But, yeah, so but why doesn't that work? Well, because it's, it's a very misleading, it's very deeply flawed, because what he's done is he has confused two very different kinds of complexity. Um, even though a snowflake does show, to some degree, a degree of complexity, what, what you're going to see is it's just a repeated pattern. Okay. DNA is something very, very different. And DNA is actually a much higher level of complexity that we would refer to as specified complexity. Well, because I guess you could even say the same thing about um, a book. Like, would he accept my argument of, well, I mean, you know, you think Stephen King wrote all those novels. He didn't. They just happened by accident with ink spelling on a page. Right. Like a snowflake. Like, you see, that just is complex and it's a natural process and so is the Library of Congress. Everything in there yeah. is just a natural. Exactly. He wouldn't accept that. No. He'd say, no, that's not the same thing. And so that's what right. we're trying to point out is DNA is not the same thing as a snowflake com- on levels of complexity. Right. And that's, and, and in fact, to sort of help the listener sort out the difference between the two, let's compare the kind of complexity in a snowflake to what we're talking about with DNA. Oh, so great. let's say... Let's say if we look at something like salt crystals or quartz crystal, and they're beautiful, right? I mean, they're beautiful. They're symmetrical. Snowflakes Mm -hmm. are beautiful. If we were to use the letters of the alphabet to represent that kind of complexity, if we wrote it out on the board, Rob, it would look like this, A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C, and you just keep going on. It's just a repeated pattern. That's all it is. That's all that, okay, so snowflake's just a continued repeated pattern. There's no variation in the movement of the lettering or anything. It's just A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C, Just a repeated pattern. Okay. Same thing for anything like that. It's just a natural something like that that shows that sort of symmetry. In contrast to that, if we were to represent the kind of specified complexity that we see in DNA, and if we were to type it out using alphabet letters, it would look more like the assembly instructions for a space shuttle. Oh but it would be gosh. far, far, far more sophisticated. <laughs> that's Okay, so that's a little different than three letters repeating themselves. Right. <laughs> the assembly yeah, instructions quite a bit for different. a space shuttle. Yeah. yeah, quite a bit different. Different level of complexity and vocabulary. Big difference. 
So again, he's just confusing two different kinds of complexity. Mm -hmm. The other argument that he tries to get away with is he says that DNA, and he does, he calls it an amazing structure, which he says can probably be explained by laws of attraction and so forth. But notice that when he says an amazing structure, he is focusing on the physical characteristics of the molecule itself. And what he's trying to avoid is explaining that non-physical information that's being carried by the molecule. So again, it's the difference between that flash drive and the information that was put into the flash drive. I see. So these are two different categories of things. Very different, you, yeah. You, yeah, okay. No, they're very different. And so even if somebody could explain the DNA molecule as a result of physics and chemistry, it doesn't even come close to explaining the genetic information that is stored in the DNA molecule. That makes sense. They, they can explain the microchip but that doesn't explain where the information embedded in the microchip comes exactly. from. That's what we're saying. Yes. They can explain the molecule of DNA, but they can't right. explain the information embedded in it. Exactly. I see. And so, you know, somebody like Krauss and others, they will try to convince you that the information is somehow just a result of natural forces of attraction. And it's kind of what Krauss tries to get away with. Mm -hmm. But I think here's another great illustration to help our listener to show why that doesn't make any sense, why it cannot simply be just through natural laws of attraction. Now, you've got little kids mm -hmm. in your home. Have you ever... You've either used one or you've seen them, the little magnetic board for children with magnetic oh, yeah. letters. Oh, those are great. Yeah, yeah, they've got the little board with the magnetic letters. Mm -hmm. Those are a lot of fun. Now imagine, so if we walked into this room and imagine a big metal board up there on the wall and imagine there's all of these little magnetic letters stuck to it. And mm -hmm. suppose that you walk in and there's this coherent message spelled out by these magnetic letters, and it says, Dear Pastor Robbie, we appreciate you. We love your uh, podcast, yeah. and thanks for all you do. And you got this message. Your, your intuition is that those letters did not arrange themselves in that order. Oh, yeah, that doesn't even cross my mind. Right. I, I automatically think, I wonder who wrote this. Or look at the bottom and see who you know, signed it or wrote their name. And, right. and is attributing it to themselves. But yeah, you don't you don't think, oh my gosh, how crazy is it that those letters just through gravity moved into that order? Right, exactly. I don't think anybody would ever think that. I don't think if they're really honest, nobody would think that. No. And so I guess where this analogy ties to DNA is that even though those magnetic letters, yes, there is a natural attraction of each letter to the board, but there's no natural attraction letter to letter. They're not they're not attracted to each other. No, they're not drawing each other yeah. into one another to, exactly. to form. And even if they were, there'd be some outside thing, some outside mechanism or intelligence that was arranging them in such an order. But they right. themselves aren't arranging themselves like that. Right. They can't. In fact, it gets worse for them because, see, even if, let's say if those letters had a natural attraction to each other, mm -hmm. instead of spelling out a coherent message which gives information, they would say, like, let's say if the letter A was somehow naturally attracted to the letter G, that would be a problem because they would just say aga, 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 aga. Yeah, you know? it, yeah it'd be repeatable. Yeah, yeah it would it just wouldn't... be a repeat, you yep. know. So I think this is just another way of of just showing that, again, you cannot explain that information just by supposed, like, as he says, just attraction, forces of attraction. It's not going to happen. That's almost like a magic wand. Yeah. Forces really of attraction, 
magic. Yeah. It's like, what are you yeah. saying? Like that doesn't that we don't see that anywhere. No. Set up, set up information like that. Like nobody could sell me a laptop and I say, well, you know, what programs on there? And they say, well, we just left it up to the forces of attraction in nature to set it up. Right. But we're still going to charge you, you know, two thousand dollars. <laughs> like, yeah. no, I, I really want it set up right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yep. I think a third argument that will come up, that has come up, at least in my experience, is that the other attempt by the unbeliever to try to get around this whole argument is they try to challenge you on your definition of information. And I've run into this in a couple different venues, one at a high school where I was speaking and one at a at a setting of secular humanists oh. that I was visiting. And in both cases, what they what they said was this. And again, this is their attempt at a rescuing device. They said that, hey, nobody knows what information really is, and no one has clearly defined it. And so and so he they go on to try to define information that they say, well, that could be referring to anything. One guy said, I mean, you could have just a box of rocks and get information of some kind from that. And hmm. one guy, the humanist, said to me, well, that, what do you mean by information? That's an abstract. Nobody knows. It's abstract. I, he said I could get out my telescope and look at the moon and get information, but that doesn't get us to what what I was talking about. Okay. So this is what they tried to say. But once again, what's going on here, they're doing a lot of hand-waving. It's just they're mm-hmm. trying to confuse the definition of information. So is there more, uh, uh, is there a set definition of information that's not just like, we intuitively can recognize it. Right. But is there is there more of a formal set of rules, a formal set of what information is that's not, that's not just intuitive to us? Yes, yeah, okay. absolutely. In fact... And again, Dr. Gitt that I mentioned earlier, he gives us a lot of insight into this because as it turns out, there is a very clear, precise, specific definition of information. And this is what they use in his field, which is information science. And now with this definition of information, you're not, you're not saying um, something that as, as human beings we've created, but this would be more of we recognize these yes. things are in what we call information. Yeah, good point. Good okay. point, Robbie. That's exactly. Okay. Yeah, this is what we recognize. And he's brought this out in a couple of books. He wrote a book in, back in 94 called In the Beginning Was Information. Okay. And then he wrote kind of a, a sequel, if you will, in 2011 called Without Excuse. And as an information scientist, he lays out, he explains that there are five levels of what they've identified as universal information. Five levels, okay. And so the lowest level they call statistics, or in other words, signal. And then the next level you have syntax or code, then semantics or meaning, then pragmatics or action, and then apobetics or result. And so we won't go into a lot of detail because it, it's difficult to mm-hmm. understand, but they're just saying that they're not just, this is legitimate. Yeah. It's not just what you feel information is. and right. you're, you're getting information from that cloud formation up there. Right. Information to these five specific things, starting right. with the lowest form of information. That's the idea? Yes. The and lowest for, level is statistics. Or so for signal. all of you statisticians out there, sorry, <laughs> you're at the lowest level. <laughs> Okay, but that's the lowest level. Stat- statistics and then syntax or code. Right. Semantics, which is meaning. Mm-hmm. Pragmatics, which is action. What, what does that mean? Like, exactly, like, how does that work? Like, pragmatics is action. Because I understand signal, code, meaning. Right. What is action? You know, that, that would take it. It would take a while to explain. It is kind of hard to understand. I okay. think if somebody to really, really delve into that topic, it's it's difficult. Okay. And this is why the guys in the information science, they are just, 
it, it is. It's kind of hard to explain, and it might. Uh, Oh, man, I think it'd give all of us mental constipation if we tried to... <laughs> get the book. That's what you're get saying. Get the book. All right. And um, and again, what was the name of the book that has this The book in is In the Beginning Was Information. And that's by Dr. Gitt, G-I-T-T. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, Get if you're interested in this, that would be the book to get to understand what information is and the what book we recognize get. it. The book to get by Dr. Gitt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> man, that is great. You know, as we close out uh, this podcast, I, I was th- along this topic, I was thinking about this quote by Bill Gates. Because mm. there's this great quote by Bill Gates, and he's an agnostic. Yeah. And he, as an agnostic, I mean, listen, this is the guy from, you know, Microsoft. Microsoft, yeah. And what he said back in his book uh, several years ago, The Road Ahead, he says, quote, DNA is like a computer program, but far far more advanced than any software ever created, close quote. Wow. That's what Bill Gates recognizes DNA to be. Right. That's powerful. It is. And yet the man's an agnostic. And you know what? It reminds me, uh, Romans chapter 1 talks about how that, that oftentimes as we're running away from God, rebelling against God, that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. We suppress the truth. So uh, even if you think about that concept, if you're going to suppress something, you're aware of it. Mm. You, know, you know that it's there. So I think that, I mean, you know, even Bill Gates knows. Yeah. I mean, he knows. I mean, think about it. He even knows that at Microsoft, when they wrote programs, they didn't just uh, go into this big room and just pour out uh, boxes and boxes of scrabble tile onto the floor, <laughs> just dump it out there and say, hey, just let it fall arbitrarily and then just write down. That's no. not what they did. It wouldn't work if you did it like that. It wouldn't. No. It takes intelligence. It takes coding. It takes yes. sequence. Yeah. Yeah. And so he knows better than anybody. They had to hire some of the smartest men and women that they could find to write these. Mm-hmm. And yet, and right there in front of him, right there under his nose, he sees this he says himself, he sees this in the genetic code. And yet he remains agnostic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's not because of lack of evidence. It's because people don't want God. Yes. On a certain level, like they just don't. They they, they want to be their own God, right? They right. turn to worship like Romans once says, the created things. Um, it talks about, you know, the birds and, and reptiles. and But it also, I mean, we really are worshiping ourselves. Yes. Is what it comes down to is I want to be in charge of me. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want to be responsible to a God who's out there. I'm going to do me, and that's it. And nobody can boss me around, right? Right. Nobody can tell me how to live my life. Um, Even if it destroys us, we have this cosmic rebellion Mm -hmm. embedded into us that, yeah, it keeps a lot of people from turning to the Lord. It does. But it's not because of lack of evidence. And DNA is one of those evidences that – I think that we can use when we're talking with our friends who are, who are skeptical and point them to, hey, how do you explain this happening? It's so complex. It's so compact. How everything we see around us uh, in the world that's like that comes from intelligence, whether it's Bill Gates, right, or right. whether it's Steve Jobs at Apple or wh- whoever. Mm-hmm. It always comes from intelligence. So why would DNA be excluded from coming from intelligence? It makes no sense. It's no. the most complex information, the most compact information as well that we have, why do we just punt to natural causes right. on the most complex? It makes no sense. No, no. No. It's more, it's, more, uh, it's more plausible to believe that there's a God 
who is really intelligent, <laughs> and he sequenced our DNA to be what it is, and he continues not even just to sequence it, but to sustain it mm-hmm. to do what it does. Right. Yeah. I'm with you, Marty. <laughs> I think that there's a God. <laughs> well, I hope you, as our listeners, uh, gain some insight. Marty just has so much good information and such powerful ways of explaining um, the complex and, and breaking it down so that we can understand it and we can use it as we go out and we reach our, our non-safe friends for the Lord. So thanks for being with us today on uh, Christ Culture and Coffee. Marty, thanks for being here. That's great. This has been be really here. fun. I love enjoyed it. gleaning knowledge from you. This is great. So, Well, thanks for being with us today. We will see you guys next time. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.